0: We've been looking at the uh, book of Exodus this past semester, and so today we're going to look at chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of Judah, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given to you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lighting and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us, or speak to yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We have been going
1: through the book of Exodus this semester, and open with me, if you're not already there, to Exodus chapters uh, 19 and 20. But what we've been doing this semester is seeing how uh, the book of Exodus, remember this theme that we trace every week, it is showing us the story of salvation, And tonight we come to a very important, significant section in the book of Exodus in in our study. Exodus 19 and 20, and if you're looking at your Bible, you know that this is where the people of God are at Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law, gives them the Ten Commandments. When I use those words tonight, the law and the Ten Commandments, I'm using those interchangeably, and so just know that Uh, because I'll probably uh, use both at some point tonight. But when we think about the law of God, this is often confusing for a lot of people. Uh, It often brings questions like, wait a minute, so how does the law and the gospel relate? How do they relate to one another? What is the law's place in Christianity? I mean, Jason, you talk a lot, if you've been coming to RUF, we talk a lot about grace, We talk a lot about the gospel, but if I'm saved by grace and I'm forgiven, then why be holy? Why do I need to obey? Those are the kind of questions that come up when we start talking about the law of God. What's the purpose of the law? How does the gospel enable me to obey the law? Those are a few of the questions that I hope that we answer, at least move towards tonight during our time together uh, in the next few minutes. But if we're going to do that, we need some help. And So let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, we come tonight and just the reason why we pray is we're dependent people. We need to acknowledge that if anything is going to happen here tonight of eternal value, it's going to be because you have done it. Father, we are helpless people. We can't even make sense of this passage without your help through your spirit and so Holy Spirit come and I pray that no matter what's going on in our hearts and there's lots going on in our hearts this time of year would you help us to focus would you take your spirit and convict and challenge and change and encourage us and show us Jesus show us the gospel in Jesus name we pray amen most of you that know me, um, and if you've been coming to RUF, you probably know this too because I talk about it some. Um, I try to temper it some, but I, I'm a big sports fan, and so I'm going to use a sports illustration, so I'm sorry. Um, but I'm, in particular, I'm a really big college football fan. One of my favorite things to do on a Saturday afternoon is to watch college football. And depending on what stadium that you go to, uh, at some point, you know, if you've been to away games or to bowl games or whatever, you might notice uh, coaches, right before kickoff, a group of coaches heading up through kind of the stands, up the middle aisle, up towards the press box. But they're actually going to the coach's box. And depending on your philosophy of coaching, uh, not always, but most of the time, those are the offensive and defensive coordinators heading up to the coaches' box. Now, why would they go up high and not stay on the sidelines with the rest of the coaches and the rest of the team? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Because they need a bird's eye view. They need to look at the big picture. They need to see the whole field They need to see what's going on. They need to see what kind of defense the opposing team's running so that they can know which play to run. They need to see all the formations and things going on on the whole field and see how things are developing. They need to see the big picture. And I tell you that story because it's also true in a sense of studying God's law, the Ten Commandments we need to see the big picture. It would be impossible for us tonight to go through every commandment, all of the Ten Commandments. We actually did that last, a year ago. Um, But it'd be impossible for us to look at every one of those tonight. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're gonna go up to the coach's box, so to speak. And we're going to look at the big picture of God's law and the Ten Commandments. And to do that, we're gonna answer three questions. What is the purpose of the law? What is the motivation of the law, or the Ten Commandments? And lastly, what is the hope of the law? The purpose, the motivation, and the hope. Those three things will help us make sense of this thing called the law of God. So let's look at number one, the purpose. There are actually lots of ways that we could come at this message and talk about the Ten Commandments. But here's what I want to get across to you tonight. Very simply, it's this. The Ten Commandments are way more than simply an arbitrary religious code of conduct. The Ten Commandments are life to you. The Ten Commandments are God's design for our lives. Another way to put it is the Ten Commandments show us how life works best. I love C.S. Lewis here. He says the moral laws, which the moral law is the Ten Commandments. The moral law is there, Lewis says, for the proper working of the human machine. Isn't that a great way to put it? And here's what Lewis is getting at. That the facets of your humanity as a human being hang together in such a way that when you honor your design, life works and you are blessed. But if you fail to honor your design, and some of you unfortunately know how true this is, if you fail to honor your design, then your life is full of destruction, it's full of loneliness and dysfunction. For example, one of the defining or aspirations for your generation, and to my generation to some degree, but definitely your generation, is this idea of freedom. For your generation, you don't want anyone telling you what to do. You don't want anyone telling you how to think. You don't want anyone telling you what to believe or how to live. But here's what I want you to see is that in reality, the pursuit of your freedom, in the pursuit of your freedom, you have actually lost your freedom. Because there is a kind of freedom that doesn't make you free. And in that freedom, it's the kind of freedom that fails to honor your design as a human being. And God's design for you as a human being is spelled out in his law in the Ten Commandments. Think of it this way. It's one of my favorite illustrations about how the law works in our lives. And it reminds me as we start thinking about the role of the law of a school system in Pennsylvania. They had a huge large playground down at one end uh, of their property. And it was surrounded by three uh, streets and over the years, those streets started to become filled with traffic, started to get very busy. Uh, and so the school system was actually fearful that some one of the children would get injured uh, because the street had become so busy. And so what they decided to do was put up a fence around the playground. And the parents didn't like that because the parents said that actually the way the fence was constructed It made their children seem like they were in prison. And so there was this heated battle between the school system and between the parents. And finally, the school system simply gave up the fight and decided to take down the fence. Do you know what happened the very next day? The children gathered together in a tiny clump in the middle of the playground... Because they were scared to death of the expanse of the playground all around them. Do you see the point? It was actually the fence that gave them the playground. What if tonight I were to tell you that God's intention for the law... His intention for the Ten Commandments was to give you the whole world. Would well, you know what? That's exactly God's intention. That's exactly the purpose of the Ten Commandments. They're designed to give you the world. In other words, here's what I'm saying. There is an ocean, and some of you don't believe this, but there is an ocean of blessing awaiting you in the law. In the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments show us that true freedom, lasting freedom comes from living the way you were designed to live. In living the way God created you to live and to act. Let me say it another way. The Ten Commandments bring clarity to your life. The Ten Commandments clear the cobwebs in your life and in your religious experience. I get it all the time. Jason, what does it look like to follow God? What does it look like to follow Jesus? This is it. This is God's top ten list. And so often we want to argue over denominations. And we want to argue over worship styles and the ethics of drinking and shacking up. And are those things worthy of talking about? Yes. But it confuses you. Because God is saying, this is what I want you to know. And this is what I want you to be about. It's not complicated. It's hard. Yes. But it's not complicated. You see, the law of God comes and it clears the cobwebs from our lives. And says this is who God is and this is what God is about. And this is God's design for you as a human being. And do you want to flourish? Then it comes out of God's word and out of his law. That's the first point. What's the purpose? of the law. Secondly, the motivation. Look at verses 1 and 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I mentioned at the beginning that we want to be a place where you have the freedom, convinced or unconvinced, to explore the truth claims of Christianity. Why do I say that now? Well, because in the midst of this passage there is no clear distinctive of Christianity than what we see here what do I mean by that well we see something very important in these two verses and it's easy to miss think about it before God gave them the first commandment before he told them anything that he wanted them to do he had already delivered them from slavery He had already set his love upon them. And so here's the picture God comes and says, I love you. You're mine. I've redeemed you. Nothing can separate me from you. Now, go be the right kinds of people. Do you see that? Friends, that's the beauty of the law. That's the beauty of the commandments that we often miss. The law is not a means anymore of earning God's approval. Of earning his favor. The law flows out of relationship. It doesn't form the relationship. Let me say this. And this is going to sound crazy. But the Ten Commandments don't begin with the law. They actually begin with the gospel. They actually begin with grace. And, friends, in Christianity, this is the distinctive the order is everything. It's always gospel or grace, then law. And you can't mix up the order, or you'll be a miserable quick Christian and you'll quit. It's always gospel then the law and most Christians think that the law is opposed to the gospel and opposed to grace for example I get this a lot Jason the people in the Old Testament were saved through the law and in the New Testament when Jesus comes they're saved by grace no that's not it it's always from beginning to end salvation comes by grace and the law and the gospel work together in both the old testament and the new testament the grace of god has never been opposed to the proper use of god's law and think about this if you've been coming this semester where are we in our study of exodus chapter 20 it's right smack in the middle of the book because there's 40 chapters in Exodus. And if you've been coming, you know what we've learned. Here's the first 20 chapters. Love deliverance redemption patience grace gospel over and over and over and over again and so for 20 chapters he's saying I want to make sure you get it that I love you and that you're mine and then in chapter 20 he says now go live for me and now go represent me in the world around you You see, the law was given to an already redeemed people. Let me say it another way. You know what you were redeemed for? If you're a Christian tonight, you know why you're a Christian? For God's glory. God has saved you and rescued you from sin and from the bondage of sin. Therefore, have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Keep the Sabbath holy, and on and on and on. In other words, what we see here is God didn't save and rescue his people so that they could do whatever they want and live however they wished. No, he saved his people so that they could go live for him in the world. That's the motivation. Thirdly, we see the hope. Look at verse uh, 8 in chapter 19. We didn't read this because it would have been way too much to read, but look at verse 8 if you have your Bible or look up at verse 8. And again, our study through the book of Exodus, when we read verse something like verse 8, it's a little humorous, isn't it? I mean, look at it. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And if you've been here this semester, you're like, really? Are you really going to say that? They think that they can obey God. They think that they can do all the right things in order to establish a right relationship with Him. And it's clear that they don't get it yet. But they get it soon because think about where this goes. A thunderous cloud comes, there's this audible voice from the Lord. He gives them the Ten Commandments or the law. And now look over at verse 19 in chapter 20. Things change, don't they? After the law of God is revealed, they have a new attitude. They tremble in fear, the passage says. Why do they tremble in fear? Because they realize that statement. Whatever you command, we will do is a complete sham. Why? Because they look full on at true holiness. They look full on at what true godliness and real righteousness really looks like, and they knew at that moment that they were in trouble. And so what's the point? Well, the point is this, that the law of God is a mirror. It is a mirror that shows you, when you look into it, What real holiness and real righteousness and true godliness really looks like. And at the very same time, it exposes you. And reveals your sin and your brokenness and your shame and your guilt. And we forget this. And oftentimes what we end up doing is using the law of God in a way that it was never intended to be used. Think about it this way. Think about a mirror. If you have a little mirror in your room, like a hand mirror or whatever, and let's say you were to look into that mirror, and when you look into it, it reveals that you have dirt on your face. If you were to take that mirror and start wiping your face with it, what would happen? It wouldn't work. In fact, it would probably make things worse. Worse. Why? Because that's not the intention of the mirror. It was never meant to do that. What does the mirror do then? It points you to the water. It points you to the soap. And that's what the law of God does. The law of God, when we look at it, it convicts us and it levels us and it shows us our brokenness so that it can show us where we need to go to be clean. It shows us and points us to Jesus who's the only one that has the power to change us and to clean us up. Some of you, and maybe you wouldn't put it this way, but some of you tonight are exhausted and depressed because you're still looking to the law to save you. You're still looking to the law to change you or looking to the law so that God might love you more. But the law will never do that, because it can't do that, and it's not the purpose of the law. Friends, the law cannot make you acceptable to God. It cannot make God like you. The law cannot change you. It cannot clean you up. It cannot deliver you from your bondage. You know what the law does? The law takes you to the end of yourself. And it leaves you and basically leads you to a place where you cry out, I need help. I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to deliver me. And in that moment, that's exactly what God gives you. Hebrews chapter 9 God says that there's one greater than Moses a mediator, a representative greater than Moses that comes and it's Jesus who comes and he walks on earth and did you know from the moment he was born he obeyed the law perfectly why did he obey the law perfectly? because you couldn't And because we haven't. Look at the Ten Commandments. Jesus did all of those his entire life with absolute perfection. And he takes that righteousness and he gives it to you if you trust in him by faith. Friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did it for you. You see, the law is meant to kill any hope that you would have in yourself. Any hope that you would put in yourself for change and for growth and for salvation. And it's meant to point you to Jesus, the one that can truly give you what you need, and that is perfect righteousness. And so here's the question for all of us. Tonight, will we let the law of God be a mirror that drives us to Jesus as our only hope? I hope we will.